This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, January 11th, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. President Obama and the GOP both have some reconciling to do. For Obama, he must reconcile facts on the ground with his pledge not to take the war in Afghanistan beyond American interests and means. Republicans, for their part, must reconcile their newfound fiscal conservatism with an expensive war that has no visible end. Cato Senior Fellow Doug Bandow comments. Uh, <clears throat> How does President Obama reconcile his refusal, public refusal, to set goals that go beyond our responsibility, means, and interests with regard to Afghanistan, and then sends 30,000 more troops there? Well, what the president's trying to argue is that what he's really engaged in is not so much nation building as dealing with terrorists. I mean, they're trying to argue that if we don't uh, you know, fix the government in Kabul, we don't get a more stable Afghanistan, we're still going to have a problem of terrorism. Of course, I think that the issue of Yemen shows how misguided his approach is. You know, what we see is that the Christmas bomber would be bomber. Of course, Yemen is a major problem of terrorism. You know, so it's not a question of Afghanistan or the government in Kabul. Terrorists can operate anywhere. Trying to build you know, stable pro-American governments around the world is a fool's errand. It's going to be no easier in Afghanistan than elsewhere. So I think the president's made a very significant mistake. He's also said that the goal has not changed, that it is to disrupt and dismantle al-Qaeda. Well, yes, and of course, al-Qaeda itself, I mean, the al-Qaeda that attacked America in 9-11, has been disrupted, you know, has been substantially weakened. You know, the greatest threat that we have today is not from bin Laden and the old al-Qaeda. It's from new threats. It's you know, local jihadists. It's like the would-be Christmas Day bomber. You know, it's the Bali bombers. It's the folks who operated in London and Madrid. We see local offshoots who model themselves off of al-Qaeda, but are not formally part of al-Qaeda, not formally tied to them. So again, you know, trying to build a strong government in Kabul isn't really relevant to dealing with terrorism, even al-Qaeda, but certainly terrorism more broadly. How are the politics shaping up for this? We've had a a year of dramatic increases in federal spending, uh, whether or not those are temporary or permanent remains to be seen. Uh, The war in Afghanistan cost us $51 billion in 2009, probably quite a bit more in 2010. Republicans have been largely supportive of it, and yet they talk a lot about, oh, we need to get back on a fiscal track. How do Republicans reconcile those two positions? Well, Republicans reconcile it by basically saying, oh, don't worry, it's not as much as Social Security, and, well, it's national security, so we have to do it anyway. I mean, Republicans try not to address the obvious contradiction. I think the president's problem is he's not going to get a lot of support among Democrats for this policy. They don't like the Afghanistan buildup. They don't think the war should be escalated. And the Republicans are likely to be fair-weather allies. Anything that goes wrong there, they're going to blame the president, and it'll be relatively easy for them to turn against him and say he's botched it, he hasn't done it right, and he'll suddenly find himself without firm allies. And at this stage, it's going to be his war. He can't blame this one on George W. Bush. He's escalating. It's his conflict. He's going to bear full responsibility. I've spoken with some Quakers on this subject, and... uh... Some of them are supportive of the war tax, that is, uh, and but not for the obvious reason. The reason they're supportive of it is because they could have something more clearly to conscientiously object to paying, and uh, I have some sympathy for that. But more generally, a war tax does seem to be something that sticks out a little more uh, than just folding it into the, the general budget. 
Well, the argument for a war tax is, you know, right now America's broke. I mean, at least the U.S. government's broke. $1.4 trillion deficit in 2009. So you can argue the entire war in Afghanistan, as well as that in Iraq, we're borrowing for. There's an argument it's much more honest to raise a tax, impose the cost today, don't impose it on future generations. And that certainly, in the view of some, is, make, is going to make it easier for people to oppose it. Charlie Rangel tried to do the same thing on Iraq by proposing conscription. He didn't really think it would pass, but he was arguing, if we're going to fight this war, let's draft people. You know, it was much more an argument of let's try to heighten the price, let's get attention for this. I think that's what the debate over the war tax is. It's basically, you know, let's try to focus people's attention on what's going on and not let them just assume it's going to be another freebie somebody 50 years from now will pay for. What should people be looking for three, six, nine, 12 months out uh, in the war in Afghanistan? Well, one of the very important indicators for us will be, is there a government in Kabul that seems more competent, more effective, and more honest? We certainly aren't seeing that today. They're squabbling over ministerial posts. If this is going to work in any way, as the president hopes, we have to have a more effective government in Kabul. I'm not going to hold my breath. Also very important is both number and effectiveness of Afghan security forces, both military and police. To have, again, you know, any kind of a, an effective counterinsurgency, there have to be local troops, local forces taking increasing responsibility. Unfortunately, we haven't seen that. That's going to be very important. It's not just number. You know, we're talking about increased training and increased you know, numbers. It also has to be effectiveness and how well they're employed. That's something to look for. Another is going to be some element of security. Are there, you know, increasingly villages and places today that are under siege that are, or that are vulnerable? Do they feel secure? You know, can girls go to school? I mean, all sorts of things where today, you know, America or its allies may rule during the day, but if the Taliban rules at night, then in fact, you know, these are not secure areas. Do we see a kind of a, a spread of security? That's one of the major goals. It will not be easy. There are a lot of isolated villages. This is you know, forbidding terrain. You know, these are the kind of things that if, if this is going to succeed, you know, the U.S. and its allies have to make progress on all of those indices. It's going to be very tough, but those are things to watch for. Doug Bandow is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org. 